Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Chris with the Future Tech Podcast. Guest today is Charles Green with RFI Group. Charles, how are you doing today? Great, thanks, Chris. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for joining us. So, thanks for having Charles, me. Charles, yeah, definitely. Charles, share a bit about your background and what led you to get involved with RFI Group. Uh, so, I've been working in, um, I suppose, what you call a technology-based media uh, since uh, the mid '90s, um, and uh, in 2006. Uh, I was working uh, across a, a media and research uh, organization focused on banking, and I felt that there was a technology-abled solution uh, for providing insight uh, to bank, better, better, better pricing and a, and, a, and a better product and a better customer experience. So I launched that in 2006 uh, as RFI Group, um, and now we're, we're in 44 markets globally do uh, media events, uh, intelligence and insights uh, around banking and, and increasingly digital banking. And at the heart of what we do is we talk to uh, 500,000 consumers and about 100,000 corporates every year uh, about their usage uh, and attitudes to uh, to banking and payments and, and these days to digital banking and digital payments. Very good. So tell us more specifically about what RFI Group is doing right now and kind of what the, the future holds. So we we do a lot of work, obviously, in digital banking, and we've just um, we've been doing a report since uh, about 2015 
um, every six months where we um, we survey 12,000 consumers um, across 10 markets uh, about uh, about their digital behavior in general and then very specifically about um, their digital banking and, and their digital payments behavior. Um, so it's, it's an interesting blend of markets. Uh, you know, you've got your traditional uh, sort of Western economies, uh, uh, the US, Canada, the UK, France, uh, Australia. Uh, you've got your sort of uh, more developed uh, Asian economies in Hong Kong uh, and Singapore. And then you've got you know, sort of three big fast emerging economies in, in Mexico, uh, China and India. And obviously, uh, you can't do anything in digital banking these days unless you're talking to people in China and India because there's, there's so much uh, innovation and product development um, coming down the line from those two markets. What, um, can you talk more about some of those innovations? Yeah, so um, a lot of what we're seeing um, in uh, coming coming out of, uh, uh, sort of China and, Singa- and Hong Kong and Singapore at the moment um, is really around um, uh, taking, taking the model of banking um, and to a degree turning it on its head. Um, so a, a good way to sort of uh, explain it is, uh, is the principles of first, device, uh, first design. So if you, if you think of rockets, for example, um, so you had you know you had the the uh, the, the V rockets uh, and then uh, and then the Saturn rockets and the uh, and then the Apollo space program and then the space shuttle uh, and and effectively every every iteration is uh, is an improvement um, on the on the existing on the existing design and the principles of first design are to say well, okay well if we if we take everything we know now about rocket design and we uh, throw out all the previous models and design from scratch, which is exactly what Elon Musk has done with SpaceX. Uh, what what would that look like? And and obviously Elon Musk did that with SpaceX and reduced the cost of building a rocket by I think 93% and and, and made it reusable. Um, and um, the reason I, I sort of use that story is uh, what we've had until now in banking is uh, consistent improvement. So. You used to go into a branch, um, uh, and then and then phone-based banking came along, um, and then and then internet banking came along, um, and then internet banking got more complex, and you're able to do more things online, uh, and then uh, you know internet banking on a mobile phone came along, and then you know mobile banking apps came along, but every 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 uh, every iteration has has been a, a, an improvement on the experience, but fundamentally. It hasn't changed. Uh, you, the customer, need to go to the bank uh, in order to do your banking. And what we've seen coming out of um, uh, China with uh, Alipay and WeChat and, uh, and some partnerships they've got with some of the Chinese banks um, is they've now turned that on their head uh, and they've created the ability when you're in a, a messaging app uh, and you can do this in uh, in Facebook Messenger, in Snapchat, in, in WhatsApp. Um, when you're in that app and you're you're talking to friends uh, or to colleagues, if you then need uh, to 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 do banking, to to make a payment, to transfer some money to a friend, you can do it uh, while you're in the the messaging app without having to leave the app and then go to your banking app. So they they've really turned the whole concept and they and they've brought banking to you at the moment that you need it without you having to go to the bank. Um, and that, that's obviously been hugely successful in China for, for Alipay and for WeChat. Uh, and that's been picked up now uh, by some of the banks in Australia and some of the banks in Singapore, uh, by, by UOB and by OCBC with a, a, what they call keyboard, uh, which effectively means if you're in any of those uh, messaging apps and you want to you know, make a payment, pay your friends, pay a bill, move some money around, uh, you can just you can 
click on the icon in the app and just do it while you're without having to leave the the, the messaging app. Oh, very good. Yeah, I've noticed that in um, Messenger, and I've wondered from from that standpoint, how does that affect the brick and mortar institutions, and you know, what's the effect on those maybe in the next five to ten years? Well, um, it's it's uh, it's hugely threatening to them. Um, you, the, the first thing to understand is that um, messaging apps uh, in um, in Asian markets have very different uptake uh, than in your traditional Western markets. So whether you look at a market by you know, age demographics of you know, millennials and Generation X and baby boomers, et cetera, or whether you look at it by you know, um, how enabled you are by technology, so you know, early adopters going through to, to um, uh, fast followers going through to sort of laggards. Um, in, in Western markets, you see exactly what you'd expect, that uh, millennials and early adopters are uh, uh, huge users uh, of messaging apps. But as you move through the demographic segments, that uh, that use of a messaging app sort of, sort of reduces and, and, and almost tails away by the time you get to um, sort of baby boomers. Whereas when you look at Asian markets, it doesn't matter what segment you're looking at. It doesn't matter what demographic you're looking at. Uh, the use of messaging app is, is, is the number one use, uh, uh, and it doesn't diminish uh, as you move through different segments. So the opportunity is much clearer at the moment uh, uh, in the Asian markets, but for a traditional bank, um, all the uh, all the behavioral data uh, that they gather uh, when you're making uh, payments uh, is what they then use uh, for marketing uh, uh, other products to you in order to cross-sell products. Um, so uh, if, if they get um, cut off, so to speak, and they just become uh, you know, the rails uh, of, of processing a payment and they lose access to that incredibly rich uh, and deep consumer data, that severely curtails their ability uh, to market effectively to you and to cross-sell products to you, which will affect the, you know, their revenues. Very interesting. I think of that in the, in the case of the, the travel industry, what, um, you know, going from the traditional travel agent to, you know, the, the travel booking web- websites and kind of that effect that it had on, you know, the, the frequency that we actually see a, a travel agent anymore. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's revolutionary. And I wonder what's on the other side of that revolution when things are settled and, and how people are interoperating together. So what other yeah, so trends? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It's, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. And um, if you look at um, banking and financial services, there are there are a couple of key differences, you know, You've got these great customer experiences that you get now with Airbnb or with Uber uh, or with Facebook. Um, but effectively, um, when you go to uh, a travel agent, um, you're just going to, to go and book a holiday. So what we're, um, what we're seeing is that the, the, the difference with banking is, uh, is that trust. Um, you know, th- there's lots of talk um, from sort of disruptive um, fintech saying, you know, nobody loves their bank. Um, but actually, you don't need to love your bank, but you do need to trust your bank. You do need to know that your bank is keeping your financial and personal information um, secure and private. You need to know when you go to a, an ATM and go to get money out that the money's going to come out and your money is safe uh, in your bank account. And what we've seen over uh, the last couple of years um, is trust in, um, in those big traditional banks um, has actually started um, – to increase and it's been consistently increasing over the last couple of years, whereas trust um, in 
there is still trust in technology companies, both the new emerging players and the large technology companies. But the trust, there's a, there's a gap between how much trust there is in those technology companies and, and how much trust there is in banks. And, and consumers will often say in a survey, you know, do you trust Facebook or do you trust Amazon or do you trust Google? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, I, I trust them to do my banking. But if you break that down and say, do you trust them to maintain uh, your personal information uh, privately and securely? And uh, this is before the, the events of the last seven days. Um, consumers don't trust technology companies as much as that, and they don't trust them to keep their money safe. And that the, their trust has been diminishing while the, the trust uh, for the banks has been increasing. So, so trust and security um, is, is, a, is a really great asset for the banks, uh, and that, that, that asset is increasing in value um, over the last couple of years. Um, no doubt, um, yeah, every time there's a, there's a massive hack into uh, Yahoo or Facebook accidentally uh, hands over 50 million uh, uh, consumer data uh, points, you know, that again just, just feeds into that, 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 that perhaps fear um, uh, around uh, what is my money really going to be safe and are they going to keep my information secure? What kind of what kind of measures do you think the, the tech side has to take to increase that trust or level the playing field with banks? Um, I said, well, I think, I mean, firstly, they, they need, they need to improve their, um, you know, improve their security. I mean, the, the Yahoo, the Yahoo hack, um, uh, was, was, was huge. Um, and secondly, they need to be, and I think this is what we're starting to see just this week, they need to be much more transparent. Uh, they need to be much, they need to be much better guardians of, of consumers' personal data and much more transparent about that privacy and, and how it's managed. Um, and until we um, see that happening, um, banking just with a technology company, I, I think, is some way off. What, what, what we're starting to see uh, a lot of, and, I, and you, you've seen this with Amazon's having exploratory conversations with JP Morgan and with Capital One, um, is where uh, a tech con technology company or a fintech is able to partner with the bank. So the bank can provide uh, the trust, the bank can provide the security, the bank can provide uh, you know, the knowledge and the compliance around all the regulatory issues, um, and the fintech or, or technology company is able to partner with them to provide uh, a great customer experience, a seamless customer experience, a, you know, a customer experience that matches the other apps that sit on your smartphone uh, rather than one that, you know, that could be considered clunky. It seems like with, a, with a lot of the technology innovations today, uh, the partnerships and the, the openness are what are creating the robust companies, the ones that are in it for the long haul, whereas um, the, the, I guess more legacy type systems uh, trusting in what used to work, um, those seem to be diminishing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I think I mean over the last sort of three to four years, there's, we've we've seen obviously massive rise uh, in the in, in fintechs, and there's huge amounts of venture capital poured into fintechs. Uh, you know, in 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 Silicon Valley, in Toronto, in London, in Singapore, in Shanghai, um, and I think I think there was a, a, the question was, you know, who, who's going to win? Is it going to be the fintechs? Is it going to be the the traditional banks? And I think what's happening now is uh, there's a realization by both sides. There's a realization by the fintechs. Uh, you know, we just we don't have the scale um, that these that these large banks do. Uh, with millions of customers, and, and and that scale, that ability to scale is really important. Um, and we don't have the trust and security they do. But at the same time, the banks aren't agile. They've got massive legacy systems. They haven't 
uh, they haven't created great customer experiences. So the fintechs, I think, have done a fantastic job in waking the banks up. So, you know, you need to provide a great customer experience. Um, and I think what we're going to see now um, is some the, the winning the winning players are going to be those that those fintechs and banks that work out um, how to partner together. Uh, I think you, you know, in uh, in Canada you've got uh, a TD, the largest bank in Canada, uh, partnered with Moven, uh, which is uh, digital only one of the first digital only neo banks uh, founded by Brett King out of out of New York, um, and that's 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 having some real success for both parties. And I think as we go forward, um, fintechs that part that that are smart in how they partner with banks and banks that are smart in how they partner with fintechs will be uh, the, the long-term winners in this space. And how is RFI's philosophy with, um, with what you just mentioned, with partnering with other companies and just that the open? So we work with, you know, in order to um, talk to 500,000 consumers and 100,000 corporates um, every year, we work with a, a huge number uh, of partner companies uh, in order to be able to, to mine that data, uh, to collect that data and to, and to be able to mine it. Um, and uh, I, I always think, you know, uh, the ideal partnership is where one plus one equals three. Um, and if you can find uh, find partners where one plus one is going to equal three, uh, and you can be uh, open and transparent, and you you know you have similar goals, uh, then then that's always that, that's always going to be a win-win. Break down the one plus one equals three mentality. What are each of the parts in that? So what what you're looking at with one plus one equals three is where um, you're not just two companies working in, in partnership, uh, but by combining uh, your capabilities um, with the capabilities of the partner company, um, you can significantly uh, increase the value of your proposition and, and therefore significantly uh, um, increase uh, you know, your market share and your, and your customer base. Um, you know, for a B2C company, for example, if they've got 250,000 customers and they partner with a company that's got 250,000 customers, customers, then technically as a partnership, they've now got 500,000 customers, but they haven't really grown. If you can partner with a company where you get that increase in the value proposition so that instead of having 500,000 combined, you now have a million customers, then, then you're starting to see the real benefits of combining uh, your strengths and skills with a partner company uh, that creates a, 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 you know, where the sum is greater than the, than the, um, the sum of the whole is greater than the parts. So it's that value proposition uh, piece. That's the, yeah. That's, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what do you think are some realistic developments that will happen in your industry in the near term future? Um, I think, I think we're going to see a lot more of this partnering. Um, I think that there will, um, like when any new, you know, when, when the internet first uh, came along, there was a plethora of uh, online startups and then gradually as you, you sort of move through um, there's, a, there's a huge amount of uh, investment. There's a, generally quite a huge amount of hype. Uh, gradually, the number of players diminishes, and uh, the, the ones that are going to uh, be there for the long term uh, are, are sort of left standing. Um, and I think what we're starting to see at the moment is we're starting to see that hap- happen um, in the banking space. So, and from a consumer point of view, um, consumer comfort with um, with digital only um, providers of banking or uh, or app only providers of banking um, kind of peaked at the end of 2017. 
uh, and that has been climbing steadily uh, across the globe from 2014. You know, every six months it was just getting, you know, consumer consumer comfort was getting more, was was increasing. Um, that sort of peaked in 2017, and, and that started to come off a bit by about sort of uh, about 10% uh, globally, down from sort of 74% to around 63%. Um, so still, you know, 63% of consumers globally are comfortable with a digital only bank. That's still a huge opportunity. But I, and I, but I suspect that that 63% is a, is a truer number than the 74% we were seeing at the end of 2017 as, as the, the hype starts to come off and, and the reality sort of uh, starts to kick in. I'd like to go back to um, RFI for a moment. I want to ask, um, what, are, what are typical clients like? How would you describe them? And how does someone experience RFI Group? So our clients are, uh, initially, our clients used to be all the, all the banks. We have about 500 banking clients globally. Uh, increasingly, um, we're working with uh, what you would call the, the newer entrants, uh, you know, the, the Apples, the Squares, uh, the big technology companies uh, like IBM, and then also, you know, the, the, the challenger banks. Um, so, you know, in the UK, you have Sainsbury's and Tesco's, which are traditionally supermarkets that are now moving into banking. Uh, you have Tandem, uh, the, you know, uh, one of the neo banks. You have uh, Prosper, uh, which is an alternative lender. Uh, in one of the markets, rate setter, which is an alternative lender. So we really work with uh, the fintechs, the challenger banks, the big tech companies, the new tech companies, and and the traditional banks. Um, and really, at any 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 institution in that very broad space of digital banking that's looking to understand the customer, be it the consumer, be it the SME owner, uh, be it the CFO of a mid-market corporate. Uh, and is looking to make sure that they have a, a market-leading value proposition. Those are typically the, the clients that are working with us. Okay. So where do you see RFI Group going in the next few years? Uh, we're continuing to work with uh, the new players as they come into the uh, into digital banking and, and, and the traditional players. Um, we're starting to uh, do a lot more work uh, in the U.S. So RFI grew out of uh, out of Asia, effectively, uh, out of Australia, New Zealand, and, and the big Asian markets, and then uh, moved west into sort of the Middle East and into um, into the U.K. and Europe, and, and then into North America. Um, so uh, we're expecting to be doing a lot more work in those emerging economies, uh, China, India, uh, Mexico, but also um, starting to do a lot more work now. Uh, in in the U.S., particularly on uh, on the West Coast. Great. So, Charles, what's the best way that people can get in contact with you and learn more about RFI Group? Uh, the best way is best way uh, to learn more about the group is is to go to rfigroup.com. Uh, but the best way to learn about what we're doing is uh, we have a. Uh, a digital uh, banking weekly podcast, uh, and you can just go to global. It's called the Global Digital Banker, and you can just go to global banker, uh, globaldigitalbanker.com, uh, and download that or subscribe for free. Uh, and every week we've got you know, interviews with um, leaders of fintechs, interviews with leaders of banks, uh, challenger banks, uh, technology companies that are playing in the space as well. So as well as uh, sort of general research and insight and trends that we're seeing uh, from across the globe. Uh, as we do as we do our research. Very good. Globaldigitalbanker.com. Any final yeah. thoughts before we wrap up today? I think digital, you know, banking has probably been one of the uh, the industries to be sort of at the back of the queue from a disruption point of view, so to speak. You know, we saw as you know, as you said, you know, travel with Airbnb, taxis, uh, uh, with Uber, you know, Netflix, with uh, with streaming. The disruption is 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 happening in banking. 
Um, but rather than a, a complete displacement, as has happened in some of those other industries, um, I think the disruption in banking is going to create partnerships. Uh, and for the consumer, that's fantastic because you're going to have all the trust and security uh, of, a, of a traditional bank uh, with a great user experience as, as they partner uh, with, uh, with with smaller and agile uh, fintechs uh, to, pro- to provide that fantastic experience. Well, great. Charles, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks very much. Cheers, Congress. Definitely. Charles Green with RFI Group. And thank you, everybody, for listening in to the Future Tech Podcast. We will catch you here next time. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000-plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.